Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. With Tesco, where you won't pay more for the products that matter most to you. Tesco, every little helps. My next guest with the release of her book, Marion Finucane, The Saturday Interviews, 2005 to 2011. Uh, broadcaster Marion Finucane joins us on the line. Good morning to you, Marion. Good morning, Joe. And a happy Christmas to you. And the very same to you and your listeners. What makes a great interview? Gosh, that, there's the $199,000 question. Um, it's a kind of a combination, isn't it, between the interviewee and the interviewer, and the third party, which is probably the most important, is the listener. Uh, it can be a matter of mood, a matter of... St- I think good stories always make a good interview. Do you think that radio lends itself more to the one-on-one interview than TV? I do, actually, uh, because, you know, as you know yourself, the radio studio is a very intimate kind of a place. And, you know, it's just you and the interviewee. I always often say to nervous interviewees, you know, the people listen to the radio in ones. So if somebody's very nervous, don't be thinking of loads of people out there. Just think of you, me, and one listener. And you can make a connection. Whereas in telly, while you can do, I mean, and there are great interviews done on telly, uh, there's all the machinery and the equipment and, and all of that, which just has a more distancing effect, I guess. Do you find that uh, it is relatively easy or relatively difficult to engage with an interviewee if, for example, they're coming from a background that you wouldn't be particularly interested in yourself? No, I don't think so. I mean, one of the great things about the job is that you that you have to get interested in everything, you know? You know, like, I remember doing an interview and I was thinking, God, I won't be terrific about that with an astronaut. And um, it was one of the most fascinating interviews I ever did in my life. As he described, he had to get out of, what do you call the thing that you're in if you're an astronaut? The suit or the space station or the shuttle? or The shuttle, the shuttle. And he had to get out of that to fix something. As he was whizzing around the world at something like 7,000 miles an hour. Like, I found that pretty amazing. Now, you've done so many uh, interviews in your career and even in the period that this book covers. How did you choose? That was the toughest... That was really the toughest part of the whole thing. Because one of the things that people say to you, you know, is what was so-and-so like or what was so-and-so like or how... What was the atmosphere around that? And, like... It was very, very hard. So we kind of thought it through and went for segments. Like, say, Michael O'Leary. We we had done um, a couple of interviews with Tony Ryan and a very nice program, I thought, after Tony Ryan died, where, where his friends were talking about him. But we decided, like, if you were doing Michael O'Leary, you wouldn't do Tony Ryan. And then we decided that we had to do something around the crash and the recession and the banks and and all of that and then we wondered would we go for a, a developer or would we go for the banker but Shawnee Fitzpatrick kind of stood out there so that eliminated developers if you know what I mean so we kind of did it in segments as much as anything else Do you think the fact that you're on Saturday and Sunday means you have that little bit more time to do an in-depth interview? Oh without a doubt that's the joy of it 
um, you know, it's uh, I call it elbow room. And it gives you time to kind of settle your interviewee and try a little bit anyway to kind of get in under their skin and not to do... Like, say, for example, when Michael O'Leary was on, I was a little bit concerned beforehand that people ring would be ringing and giving out about the cost of luggage on the plane or, you know, the fact that they couldn't, as, as indeed happened to me myself, that I couldn't get on a plane from Cork to Dublin because I didn't have a passport. But they didn't, actually. When when he started talking in a particular way, they they listened to it in that way, if you know what I mean. Now, our producer, Anne-Marie, made the point today that one of the most fascinating aspects of the book is that we get uh, to read what you were thinking about the interview as it was going through. Well, in a funny way, that's why I was asked to do it uh, by Wolfhound in the first place. Because I'm I'm sure it happens to you, too, that people ask you, well, what was the so-and-so like or what was such-and-such like or what did you think of what they said there? So that's really, it's kind of, as it were, my take on the interviews. Why did you pick Roy Keane? Well, uh, Roy Keane is a pretty compelling man. And uh, sport is hugely important in Irish life. And I suppose he had come more recently to our attention again after he bit the nose off the poor man whose mobile phone went off at the press conference and his reaction to the Thierry Henry incident. And... You know, he's, he's a, I think he's a remarkable guy. He's a very quiet, pleasant, courteous person whom I think hates being interviewed. But I think once he decides to do something, he does it. And I don't think that there's any side to him. Uh, but then he just has this kind of directness and irritation with messers and that kind of thing. And, I mean, people do find him compelling. And, uh, obviously, Saipan kind of goes down as the second civil war, you know. Talk to me about that amazing interview with your friend, Nulo Fuelon. Well, that was, um, as you can imagine, it was difficult enough. But uh, she very much wanted to do it. She another very direct person. I met her for lunch. She came in, she was on a walking stick um, and I said, oh God, did you twist your ankle or or what? And she just sat down and she said, I have tumours in my brain, I have tumours in my lungs, Um, I'm going to die pretty shortly, I have to get radiation, I don't think I'll take chemotherapy. And like, there was no preface to any of this at all. And I, I nearly keeled over, you know, as you can imagine. And it seemed to me quite bizarre that within 10 minutes, while I was still trying to absorb all this, she said she knew nothing about dying and she figured that none of us did and that she would like to do an interview about it. And I, I have known, well, I've known Nula for a very long time, and I know that she does, she did a lot of clarifying of her own thoughts when she was speaking publicly, more so nearly than when she was speaking privately. So we agreed to do it, and we agreed that there would be as little sentiment as possible, that it would be as matter-of-fact as possible. And um, I think she just sucked it to well, to me and to everybody by her honesty. And 
we were very worried about upsetting people either who had a terminal illness or whose loved ones had a terminal illness because, as I say, she didn't hold back. But we figured it is one of the things people never talk honestly about because if you love somebody very much, you're hoping that they're going to get better and you want to make it be as positive as possible and all of that. So, in fact, I would say of all of the people that contacted me and contacted her afterwards, it was people who were dying that appreciated it the most. Was it tremendously difficult for you? Um, well, you know when you decide you're going to do something and whether it's difficult or not, you're just going to do it. So it was with that sort of straighten your back and get in and get on and do it. Um, and we both knew that we'd hold it together, if you know what I mean. By the way, are there enough women in broadcasting? Well, it certainly transformed. In, 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 in RTE, for example, when I went in, there was one woman producing in the radio centre in current affairs. And I have found myself in recent times saying to the powers that be, we need more men. So certainly at that level, um, it's transformed in terms of women. And then, I mean, if you look at, at Morning Ireland and, and that on our station, there are a lot of women on air now. But will a woman ever take the chair of the Late Late Show, as you famously did at Nell McCafferty's prompting, but only for a few minutes? <laughs> well, Miriam does a good job. Yeah. Um. But they still plump for a man. They did. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think there were a lot of discussions behind the scenes on that and what the audience expected and all that. The answer to your question is, I think, probably not. Because you come from a family of strong women. Your aunt was Nora Herlihy, who founded the credit union movement in Ireland. That's right. Mm. She must That's have been right. an amazing woman. She was an amazing woman and um, with an amazing focus. She herself, she was a teacher, but outside of her teaching hours, she just focused on this with a kind of a, a, a compelling focus. She believed in it so much. At a time and, when there wasn't a glass ceiling, there was a glass floor for women. That's right, yeah. But, you know, she was a, she was a funny one. My mother used to worry about her in terms of malnutrition. She'd do things like forget to eat or forget to sleep. She just worked all the time. Well, I spoke to a man last evening who was lucky enough to spend a few days with her um, when she was uh, helping out on the credit union movement and uh, he said to me that she was quite uh, extraordinary. Now, uh, the Father Kevin Reynolds libel case, uh, what are your thoughts on that and the fallout uh, for RTE? Oh, I think it's appalling. Absolutely appalling. I mean, I was in a state of shock when I heard about it. Um, and obviously there are three, um, three I think, different inquiries going on about it now. And I, like I wouldn't know anything at all of the detail of it. But, I mean, a libel, uh, we all live in terror of libeling somebody. Um, and child sex abuse is about as bad as it can get. It just I think the question that most people ask about it is the simple fact of this offer of a paternity test. 
That's the question I asked myself. That's the question I asked myself. I mean, the truth is, I can't give you, I genuinely can't give you any insights into it because I don't know anything about it. But I will be fascinated myself to read the reports when they come out. Now, we had uh, Joe Duffy, your colleague, on the programme a a few weeks ago. All right. He was saying to us that he was worth what he was paid to present Liveline. Of course, you did it once yourself. And that he felt that he and other RTE broadcasters, including yourself, were being singled out for unfair treatment on pay. What's your view? Well, I suppose everybody that gets singled out doesn't want to be singled out. Uh, And we've all accepted and taken cuts and cuts and cuts. And that when those contracts were signed by both sides, um, it was a different world. It was a different climate. It was a different universe, in fact. And uh, everything has changed and that just has to be accepted. And you're happy to accept that as it comes down the line? Yeah. But do you think you're overpaid? Uh, well, do you think you are? Well, I work for a private organisation. Yeah. So, you know, that's a question that I might be prepared to answer. But uh, if the roles were reversed, you're doing this interview. I'm asking the question, so I'm asking you. <laughs> well, everybody is delighted when they sign a good contract. It's as simple as that. They are, and your negotiator negotiates as, as good as they can. And the point is that at that time, that was considered appropriate. Obviously, times have changed utterly since then. I mean, unemployment has changed. Everything has changed. Uh, One um, interview that I was surprised to see in the book, although I do remember it very well, and it was an extraordinary one, was with Christian Pauls, who was the um, German ambassador to Ireland. Yes. Um, He got a lot of things right, didn't he? He did. He Actually, I thought he was wonderful, because very often, you know... doing an interview with uh, an ambassador can be a bit of a waste of space because they're limited in what they can say to you. Uh, and what he, he had kind of a devilish sense of humour. And he kind of told things like he saw them. And the joke about nobody wanted to claim an old car, my God, how things have changed in Ireland since then, uh, was all true in my view. Now, I know that Jim Mitchell took great issue with him, but our listeners uh, thought he got it absolutely spot on at the time. And uh, he got into fierce trouble himself over it. But he was a professional diplomat, and I presume he knew the consequences of his actions. But he was very amusing, I thought. Very amusing and very accurate. Now, the move to Saturday and Sundays worked out very well, and the listenership figures showed that. Did you have any reservations? It was I who put the proposal. I had had that at the back of my mind for a very, 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 very long time. You might have noticed that I dedicated the book to a man called Michael Littleton, who was my boss from the beginning in the radio centre. He's dead now, sadly. But he knew more about broadcasting than, you know, anybody else that I ever met. And at a certain point many years ago, he was saying, you know, patterns are going to change more women are going to work outside the home, we're going to have less access to audience uh, on the weekdays. And he said there will be a space at some stage to do, as it were, daytime broadcasting, but do it on the weekend and do it in a big chunk. And I had filed that away at the back of my head uh, as something that I thought was a very good idea when the timing would be right. And around it, I was doing the morning show 
and they wanted to change the morning show to, uh, shall we say, a, a, a lighter program. For shorthand, what was said was fun and texting. And the the morning show is quite a tight space. And I thought, here's my opportunity now. And I presented it to uh, the idea to the powers that be at the moment. And they just said yes straight away. And I absolutely love doing it. It's pretty hard on the team because, like, it's, it's one thing for me, but a lot of people don't get a weekend off ever, if you know what I mean. And, and I think people find that hard. But they love actually working on the programme because you have space and you have time and you can give things time to go into a bit of depth, that kind of thing. So yeah. I have to say I, I really, really enjoy it. Uh, one thing that's always fascinated me about you is that you're a high-profile public figure, but you've managed to keep your private life largely private. Uh, has that been difficult? Uh, it was a decision that I made from day one that I chose a job in the public eye. My sisters, my brothers, my cousins, my aunts, my immediate family didn't. So I never, ever, ever brought them into anything. And I'm very glad I did that, actually, because... But have because you found it am. difficult then, Marion, on those rare occasions when private uh, tragedy has leaked into the public domain? No, people have been very good. People have been very, very, very good. Very, very good. And, and you, you know, I mean, with a private tragedy for anybody, it's the same for everybody. And people treated me the same as they would anybody else, really. I'm just thinking, you know, you see these reality TV stars, etc., etc., and they live on publicity. You obviously yes. see yourself differently. You see yourself as a, an interlocutor to a degree. Um, and, and then something does happen and you do read about it in the paper um, or you're asked questions uh, about it. And I've always got the impression, even watching the interview you did with Mike Murphy a few weeks ago, that you were <laughs> desperately uncomfortable. Well, I prefer to be asking the questions. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. And, you know, if you're going to do something personally, I regard what I do as a job. You know, and I never really, I'm not comfortable with all this uh, celebrity stuff. It's just not me. What, what, I, what I love is the job. And I just regard it as a job. And I don't think of it in terms of, of being public or celebrity or any of that stuff. Finally, what does Christmas mean to you? Oh, stress, I have to say. Um, I mean, I used to absolutely adore it. but And particularly, you know, with small children and that, it, it's lovely. But I think to a certain extent, I don't know where, how, when, we lost the plot a bit. And it all became about buying things and excess and panic and and I'm not a very organised person about these things and I, on the run up to Christmas, my favourite day of the year actually is Stephen's Day you know when everybody kind of lounges around the place and it's all over I love that Alright, well it was a genuine pleasure Marion Finucane and the book is Marion Finucane, The Saturday Interviews 2005 to 2011, thanks Marion Listen, thank you very, very much indeed. Call Limerick today now on 461995. Joe, all the best. Take care. Bye bye.